Hi friends, Gerald Law here. Welcome to the Love Lake Norman podcast. Love Lake Norman is a church in Cornelius, North Carolina, whose mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. You're about to hear a message that will be helpful and hopeful. Our goal is to encourage you to take the next step in your faith. Wherever you are, we want you to know that God has a plan and a purpose for you. Thanks for spending time with us today. We hope you enjoy this message. So Coach Matt Doherty, uh, let's see. I'm gonna introduce you th- this way and you're gonna okay. share more about yourself, but he uh, has done a lot of amazing things. He started on the 1982 uh, Carolina Championship team with a, alongside a, a, some random person named Michael Jordan, I believe. Taught him everything he knows. I think you did. He also started on, on undoubtedly the greatest uh, college basketball team ever assembled in 1984. Uh, that starting five included um, Michael Jordan, James Worthy, Kenny Smith, Sam Perkins. Is that right? No, no, no. James, James wasn't there. Brad Doherty. Yeah. And and, and you. Me. Yeah. Yes, amazing team. We, uh, went on to become the head coach of Notre Dame, and then uh, moved on to become the head coach of the University of North Carolina. He was the 2001 AP Coach of the Year. That team was the 2001 ACC Championship. Uh, team and now he runs a, a leadership coaching practice and so uh, thank you for spending some time with oh, us. Oh yeah, today. thank you for having me. I'm gonna do some uh, some rapid fire questions first. Okay, okay? and right. I should have changed these from earlier. Maybe I will. I'll throw in some fresh ones. Yeah. Um, uh, but just to kind of get things flowing. Okay. Uh, a little bit. So I'm gonna ask him some questions. You're gonna get a chance in a few minutes to ask Coach Darty uh, a few questions. So be thinking of some things you might want to ask, but. But really, as we think about moving from success to significance, you've got a lot of things to say about that. Um, he wrote a book called Rebound, which I should have in my hand right now. Yeah, you should. That's <laughs> so unprofessional. I thought that was in the fine print. Uh, I didn't read the fine print. Yeah, obviously. I never do. Uh, yeah. But it is it's going to be at the table outside. He's signing books out there afterwards, so uh, feel free to grab, grab a copy of that. Proceeds, by the way. Go to 50 percent, 50 percent of proceeds, not 75, like you said earlier, I go to Love Lake Norman. So that's a generous thing. But uh, all right, we're going to we're going to go some rapid fire questions. Okay, that means short answers, rapid fire questions. I could talk as long as I want. You do have a microphone. Yeah. Um, uh, Greatest thing that you learned from Coach Dean Smith, legendary. uh, You praise the actions you want repeated. Praise the actions you yeah. want repeated. I, I think that we, uh, as parents, as coaches, and I know I did this. I was a find the flaw kind of coach, and uh, uh, because I felt like, okay, you, you're supposed to do the right thing, uh, so why praise that? You're, you, you know, that will take too much time. Mm. Uh, let's fix what you're not doing well, mm. and um, uh, that that's not a great way to lead. Uh, it's when you praise someone's someone else, then everyone else wants that attention too. They're more inclined to do the right thing. Somebody, somebody tweet that out. Praise the action you won't repeat it. That's good. Um, besides Coach Smith, the greatest influence on your life from a, from a basketball perspective? Yeah, Bob McKillop, the head coach at Davidson. Uh, Bob was my high school coach at Holy Trinity High School on Long Island my first two years and then um, came down as an assistant at Davidson for one year, left and went to a rival high school. Um, and uh, yeah, he's a special man. Uh, he's done an unbelievable job at Davidson and, and is a, a great friend like a brother to me. He's a legend. He's a legend. Um, best, best player you ever played with? <laughs> did, uh, did Hamburger write these questions no, for you? No, I, 
Is it, best, is it Phil? Best college player you ever played with. Best player, don't think about their NBA career. Would you still say the James same? Worthy. Okay. Ja- James Worthy was like, wow. Mm. Yeah, he's a man. James was shaving in like seventh grade. <laughs> what? Yeah, I mean, but he, he was unbelievable. Yeah, and, and just a great teammate. I had great teammates, talented, but a great teammate. You can find all these games on YouTube, by the way. You go back and yeah. watch some of these. It, it's amazing. To yeah, watch. D- James on. Worthy was, there's nobody, okay. nobody been like him. We'll, we'll get that message to Michael Jordan. Yeah, um, thank you very much. Uh, so, uh, Lee, cut that. <laughs> he won't. He wouldn't like that, would he? No. <laughs> no. Best play you ever made in a game? Oh gosh, um, there's so many to choose. I know. <laughs> I, a lot of dunks. A lot of dunks. Yeah, all three of them. Um, yeah, it's bad when you're six eight and you only have three dunks in your college career. That wasn't yeah. the era of dunking, I think. You well, know. it was kind of was. Um, and uh, I slam a jamma and uh, anyway um, I was fortunate enough to hit a shot at the end of the game to put a home game our last home game we were undefeated playing Duke at home like seven seconds to go Uh, they missed a foul shot we called timeout and the play was for Michael Jordan and um, I felt like yeah coach everybody in the gym knows it's going to go to michael so i felt i could beat my man and i went down and hit a jump shot to put in overtime we eventually won in double overtime and um yeah so that was probably the highlight y'all beat them uh, by a wide margin actually in that game yeah um most annoying duke basketball player players uh, players so you, you players. can go for top five or top ten yeah Whew. Uh, Danny Mahar uh, was a player I played against, and he was just a pain in the butt. Dirty. This is being recorded, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, good, good. Dirty yeah. Danny Mahar, M-E-A-G-H-E-R. <laughs> um, yeah, he had a, uh, what's that haircut that's starting to come back? The mullet? Mullet, yeah. Is Ethan growing a mullet? He, yeah, Ethan has had a mullet He's for quite a while. A little uh, a, a mull? He's not quite got the mullet, just the mull? Um yeah, he was annoying, dirty, aggravating, kind of like a Bill Lambeer type at the college mm-hmm. level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, in the later eras, you could. There's so many people you can name. Oh, there's a list. <laughs> yeah. We don't want to even give them credit by naming those names. No. Chris Collins, Bobby Chris Hurley, Collins, um, Christian Leitner. Gosh, yeah. The list. Tripper, whatever his name was. Here's another uh, rapid fire. Remember, um, <laughs> the rapid fire section of the conversation. <laughs> Yeah. Wait till the rest of the conversation. Um, favorite pastor at Love Lake Norman? Um, That's just on the, I didn't write these questions. That's is, uh, is Ethan a pastor? Or is he, he is a, he, he's technically, technically a pastor. Yeah, I'd say Ethan. <laughs> Phil, Phil, Phil Hamburger was up there, but actually, Rachel's husband is pretty good. Rachel's husband. That's, yeah. that's Phil. Yeah. Um, thanks, Coach. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. You could have included me, but that's fine. Um, okay, here we go. Serious, Could have given me two separate questions. gifts. <laughs> this is true. One, one special thing about your wife, Kelly. Oh, there's, uh, she's here. She wasn't here earlier. That's not the special thing. My wife, Kelly. Uh, that, uh, wave your hand, Kelly. There you go. Give yeah. Kelly a hand. Yeah. Um, Patience. Gosh, this is, I, I, you know, this is, 
a tough question, but not tough. You know, I talk about core values in my executive coaching, RTCP, respect, trust, commitment, positivity. And, you know, I think through all that we've been through 30 years of marriage and raising two kids and, you know, things you go through, um, you know, the high highs, low lows is commitment. I think her commitment to family, her commitment to the Lord, um, her friends, um, to me, um, I think that's the thing that screams out to me besides her, I jokingly say, Concord toughness. She's from Concord, and she's a very tough uh, uh, person to deal with all the stuff that she's dealt with. Representing the streets of Concord. Mean right. streets of Concord. Mean streets. The west side of Concord. <laughs> the mean those streets. So let's talk about success, because we're talking about going from success to significance, but you had a lot of success uh, as, a, as a basketball player, as a coach, uh, from your high school days, getting recruited by Dean Smith, which I know was just a joy, and, mm-hmm. and it's so, super exciting in those moments, and you, you write about that in your book, and um, won a national championship, played, uh, you know, played on that talented team, rose through the coaching ranks quickly, coached Notre Dame, then coached Carolina. You know, talk about some of the keys to, to your success, as you look back on that span of your career. Yeah, well, I think, uh, to me, it's all about the people in your life. Um, I've been blessed uh, to be the son of Mary and Walter Doherty, first mm-hmm. and foremost, and to have uh, three older sisters uh, and a younger brother. Uh, we, you know, you don't really realize it when you're going through it, okay, the young people here, until you get to college, and then you realize some teammates that didn't have a dad, you mm-hmm. know, that didn't, you know, grow up like I grew up. Mm. And, you know, we weren't, we were middle class. My dad owned a Pepsi route, uh, but there was a lot of love. There was discipline. Um, and they, they happy. Like my dad, like I never saw my dad in a bad mood, yet he had to get up at five in the morning every day in all kinds of weather to take uh, his Volkswagen or the train into the city, load up his truck, deliver Pepsi all day into Greenwich Village and then come home. Mm-hmm. And he'd be at my game or my practice and, you know, just in a good mood. Like, and, um, and I don't think he compared, like, comparison games are the work of the devil. And, and as an athlete, you grow up. You want to be like, am I the tallest guy in the block? Am I the tallest guy in the class? Am I the best athlete in the class? Am I, you know, you're always measuring. And... And it's like a curse because then you continue to measure. Do I have the nicest car? Do I have the prettiest wife? Do I have, yes, I do. Do I have the, see what I did there? Do, do, do I have, you know, the biggest house? You know, am I the best coach? Am I, and then when you're not, you know, then, then the pride and the ego get in the way and it's really a slippery slope. Mm. You said something earlier when we, uh, talked about that question too about your parents and your father not like okay I know a lot of parents in the sporting world who push 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 and the weekend is all about you know the the getting the kid to the next level sometimes it's sometimes whether the kid wants to or not you know there's so and you see that more than I do there's so much of that happening today so so from the perspective of your dad yeah and his approach with you my dad was awesome my dad was a minor league baseball player, played a lot through the Carolinas, Rock Hill, Green, both Greenvilles, and, you know, talk about those stories. If he won a game, he'd get a $25 bonus so he could afford to call um, my mom, who was his 
girlfriend at the time. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, uh, so when I, uh, grow, growing up on Long Island, most kids played Little League Baseball. That was kind of the first sport. And then uh, I, he signed me up for Gus Alfieri's All-American Camp at fourth grade. And I played CYO basketball on Long Island in fourth grade. And um, the, the, the sacrifices the coaches and the administrators made such an impact. You know, the Coleman brothers, Mr. Perkle, who ran the league. I'm, I'm going up to a CYO dinner uh, with Kelly. Uh, it's Wednesday. And, you know, these people gave me an opportunity, one, to be exposed to a game that I fell in love with, but also team sports. Besides the military, I think team sports is probably the best leadership um, uh, training ground in the, in the world because leadership's the most important topic that's not formally taught, and, and you experience it. And so learning how to fail, and as I talk to the young people, like, it's okay to fail. Like, you're going to fail. If you try at anything, you will fail. If you, you grow outside of your comfort zone. So when you're uncomfortable, you will make mistakes and fail. And don't compare yourself to social media where your every day is being compared to someone's highlight film. You know, you see someone on a boat or in front of the, on a beach. Or, say, that, say that part again. Your every day. Yeah, don't be- compare your every day to someone's highlight film. Yes. Because that's all you see on social media. You know, they're perfect, and I'm, I'm, I'm not. Well, guess what? None of us are perfect. The only person that was perfect, they hung on the cross, right? And I think that one thing I talk about is masks. We all wear masks, not these masks, but masks. And I wear three masks, uh, a smart guy mask. I like to think that I'm smart. Two, uh, tough. I like to think I'm a tough guy. And three, I like to have my stuff together mask. Like I've got everything buttoned up. Well, I'm not as smart as I think I am. I'm not as tough, and I don't have my stuff together, okay? And so my wife's like nodding. Yeah, she's (laughs) nodding. She's nodding. So when you walk into a room, and I do this with my executive team, my coaches, my CEOs that I work with, I say, take those masks off and put them on the hook. Free. Those masks are heavy. And now all of a sudden you get to stand up straight and smile and be real, be authentic. Because vulnerability is the new invincibility. So I think when you share your vulnerabilities, people can lean into that. Because we're all broken. We all, but we want to be perfect because it seems like society requires that. And you don't have to be. And you know what? It's, it's like cool not to be cool. Like, I'm talking to the young ladies on the front row here because it's hard, man. It's hard being you. I have a daughter who's 22, been through it. My son's 24. And it's like, it's okay. It's okay to make, it's okay to fail. My daughter's six foot tall. Didn't like being tall. I said, stand up straight, wear heels. Walk in like you own the room. Like, it's okay. Boys don't like them. I go to church. Um, I don't drink. You know, but, uh, cool. Love it. Like, be you, and you will find someone for you. But don't settle. Don't settle because society is saying you should do X, Y, and Z. No, 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 no. Follow that path. Follow the Lord and 
and um, you know the messaging your parents are giving you obviously you wouldn't be here without that well I think uh, last time you said one of your dad's favorite phrases after a game was a uh, great game. Yeah. My dad, minor league pitcher, could have been that dad, right? Could have, could, didn't make the major leagues, could have lived vicariously through his son. Win or lose, Big Walt would say, good game, let's go get some ice cream. And we'd go to friendlies. Anybody from Long Island would know friendlies, yeah. all right? He'd get a Jim Dandy um, with, and, and I would get a fribble. And, uh, and, uh, I don't know what you're talking about, but, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, I have the mic here, so just settle down, Gerald. Um, and, and so, I might too. so <laughs> keep going, keep going. So, but just, so yeah. like he exposed us to like, you know, baseball. And then I decided to quit baseball in sixth grade and he was okay with it. And I focused, I just want to focus on basketball. I was pretty driven to like, I love basketball and I wanted to be good at basketball. And I had great coaches around me and great role models, good players growing up in, in Nassau County on Long Island and great sports teams like the Knicks and the Nets to dream like I wanna be like those guys. And he supported that, signed me up for camp, came to the games, but never judged me as an athlete. And so fast forward, um, Kelly signed Tucker up when we were living Mooresville the first time. This is our second stint. And um, she said, you know, I signed Tucker up for basketball and he doesn't want to play. I said, I'll talk to him. So we're in the car. We're on Brawley. He's in a booster seat. I think he's like six. And I'm at a red light and I'm looking at him in the rearview mirror. And he always would talk with his hands. And I said, Tuck, uh, tomorrow's basketball practice. And he goes, Dad, I told Mom I don't want to play. And my interpretation, like the bubble above his head, hey, dumb guy, what part of no don't you get? <laughs> right. And I was like, okay, you don't have to play. Yeah. Because that's the way my dad was with me. And he ended up uh, playing lacrosse and became an All-American lacrosse player and got a scholarship to college. Hmm. There's a lot in that. I'm gonna, I want to keep moving uh, for time. There's a lot, a lot in that comment right there uh, that we could land on. But you went, you went forward as a coach, and then you get to Carolina. You end up as AP Coach of the Year. You guys have a great, that, that, that incredible season where you won the ACC. And then the bottom kind of drops out. Things fall apart. And Kinda. Kinda? Well, I was, things we really go, we fell go, apart. We go 8-20, worst record in Carolina history. Yeah. The next year, rebuilding. My best big man breaks his foot, and we don't make the NCAAs, and I lose lose my job and you say kinda I was you say kind you say I was Gerald, you said kind of drop out I was being nice um, it really fell apart is that what you want me to say it so it so, was a it was when I do corporate talks I give a, a gra I talk about failure and I, I sh show a graph most people introduce me like hey former player at North Carolina started with Michael Jordan 1982 national championship 2001 coach of the year at North Carolina and then there's a pause and it says head coach at FAU and SMU. Yeah. And like people, either they're not paying attention or they're just like, you know, not hitting them. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. My, so I put a graph up with the years, 1993 to 2001, and it goes straight up. And then 2003, it goes straight down. And I said, what is that? What does that look like? And it's, most people say a stock market crash. 
In the next slide, I put up Matt Doherty's coaching career. And that's my coaching career. I mean, it just dropped. I mean, I, I could have been at Notre Dame forever. And, um, and then all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm, I was recruited to take the job by Dean Smith and Michael Jordan, and I took it because of the Carolina family. And then um, I was not so politely asked to leave. And, you know, I felt like I was falling off the Empire State Building with no safety net. And that's where The Rock came in, and she just, in, in you know, family mode, we're going to take care of our kids, boom, boom, boom. But it was betrayal, and you try to put on a happy face because it's so public. And, you know, Kelly would tell me, uh, saying, uh, get out in front and make it look like a parade. So we tried to do that. Mm. And, um, but deep down, it was just killing me and I, I was dealing with depression and um, you know just struggled with it and finally I, con- I, I, I set a meeting up and, and let things, you have to have difficult conversations but be careful you may not get the feedback you wanted so I met with Coach Williams Coach Smith at that time health wasn't very good and I just expressed my feelings you can't argue with somebody's feelings And, you know, no accusations, just wanted to, you know, and and that felt relief. And then forgiveness. I think it's the most difficult topic in the Bible is forgiveness. Mm. Because um, especially if you're a competitor, you know, you're wired to beat the other person. Mm. And you feel like the other person wronged you, you want to go after them. To show grace and forgiveness? Woo! Mm. So when I finally forgave people that I felt may have wronged me, the bigger challenge than that, and that was a challenge, was to forgive myself. Mm. And I think that um, pride and ego, like it takes some pride and ego to be successful, but too much pride and too much ego brings down the best of men and women. And I think it brought down me. Um, And I had to forgive myself. And, um, and that was very healing to do that. Well, I want you to talk about your, your, your path forward from kind of success into this journey of significance. I also want to say, you know, that, you know, even for me, when I introduce you with those things, uh, part, part of it is, is this, this goal that I want to tell you guys, too, is that you are not defined by your failure. You know, like we are not defined by our failure. And so when I say those things, I think that, that for you, like I don't want you to feel defined by your like, a failure in your life, right? And uh, we all have those. And gosh, if we, were, if we were just defined by those, how awful that would be. And certainly that's not how God sees us as defined by our failure. He defines us by, by, by what Jesus has done for us. And that grace, and we'll talk about it some, here in a minute, I think. But, yeah, uh, so you don't want me to talk right now? Oh, I'm talking right now. Okay. Um, no, but the question is, how do you, how do you go from, from success to significance? How do you yeah. make that move? Like, what does that look like for you? Can I answer that now? You, I'm going to stop talk? now and you can. Okay, I can talk yeah. now. Gosh. Anyway, <laughs> a couple things come to mind. First of all, about a year ago, you and I were having lunch, and we, I was talking about writing the book, and you said that you're like something along the lines, the best days may be ahead of you. You know, I feel like some 
You may have even used the word significance. And um, we all need encouragers in our lives, no matter how old we get. Um, and, and that was, you know, important to me. And so on a serious note, thank you uh, for your friendship. Um, and uh, I think that um, success is singular and selfish and significance is plural and mm. sharing. And so, you know, too much is given, much is expected, right? And I was on a path of success. I wanted to be the best assistant coach, the best head coach, and, and it was selfish. It was about me. And, um, uh, you know, and I think God, you know, and it, it's intoxicating. Success is intoxicating. I mean, like I, I said this earlier, in the pit on campus in Chapel Hill, uh, that's where all the students gather and there's protests and there's different things in the pit, but it's kind of the main part of campus. And during that 2001 season, we won 18 games in a row. We were ranked number one in the country. And someone spray painted on the, um, in the pit, in, I mean, big letters, Doherty is God. I'm embarrassed to say that, but like I saw that, like how can that not affect you? especially at 40 years old. And, you know, then two years later, I think God smacked me in the back of the head. Mm-hmm. It's like too much, too fast. You can't handle it. I don't like where this is going. Mm-hmm. And, man, that fall was hard. Um, and, you know, I, 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 I think Robin Roberts on ABC Good Morning America has a great line that I use a lot now is make your mess your message. Mm. And that's what I'm trying to do here. That's what I'm trying to do in the book. And I think people vote, oh, that's a $5 fine, that's what we do. <laughs> Phone goes off in a meeting, $5. Uh, Barb, you gotta buy another book now, Barb. <laughs> I find it's always best if you point them out, like call them out. Darn right. Yeah. On the baseline, Barb, Barb. right now. I'm sorry, I'm reverting. <laughs> <laughs> respect, trust, commitment, positivity. No respect there, Barb. Um, anyway, Ethan, that's family, right? Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, thanks for doing that. We set that up on purpose to lighten the mood. Um, so, anyway, where was I? I don't know, but I got one more question yeah. for you. Um, I wasn't listening. No, uh, can you, okay. Share, just share with us now, you know, what, what, what it is that's making your life significant. Yeah, uh, what is making my life significant? Uh, I, I feel fulfillment in my coaching practice. I, I'm coaching. I'm, I'm wired to coach and teach. And it's just that I'm not coaching and teaching basketball. I'm now keep teaching leadership to executives and and helping them grow. And as a result, I'm impacting them, their employees, and their kids. Mm. So that feels significant Mm. to me. I'm not chasing, you know, like it's not in the news, right? I'm not gonna be a national coach of the year. I'm not making $5 million a year like you would as a head basketball coach at some major university. And like, I don't, for a while, I was chasing all that success, you know, and now I just feel like fulfilled because 
I like the work that I'm doing. And I think slowing down, even though my schedule calendar's jammed, but like going into a weekend and not having things booked out and, um, you know, the COVID and the career change has really given me and Kelly the opportunity to spend quality time with our kids. And um, so I think kind of being more grounded and I still need to work on it. One of the things you said earlier, uh, follow up on that real quick, is that is, is t- you talked about how your faith has been like the kind of the, that, that internal uh, bedrock for you in, in all of this. Yeah, it needs it. Like in the last month, and this, this thing about this Vistage group that I work with is we, we're vulnerable. Vulnerability is the new invincibility. Again, people lean into that. And we check in at each meeting. We grade ourselves on personal health and business. And personally, I put like a five because COVID and the vaccine and the news have brought me down. It put me in a funk. And, you know, I was knocking heads with my daughter, which I've never done, uh, over the vaccine. And uh, she's in New York and working in New York City. And and just, you know, I'd wake up, I'd go to bed. It was depressing. So I've tried to turn off the news a little bit. And, like, if you believe, it's never not perfect. Hmm. I mean, that's a friend of mine says, never not perfect. Hmm. Pat Croce, who uh, is a friend who used to own the 76ers. And he says, it's never not perfect if you believe, right? This is where we're supposed to be. Okay. Now model the behavior. And I think that's where as Christians, okay, if this is, you know, if this is the way things are, we've got to model behavior for our children and for our community and not be afraid to do that. Yeah. So, uh, we got time for a couple questions. Somebody would like to ask a question. Ethan's going to, um, Bring the microphone around. If it's if you have a if you're going to ask one, if it's possible to mask, because we're going to share this microphone a little bit, that would be awesome. Um, oh, you want to speak loud? Okay, perfect. Yeah. How do you see Gosh, retirement? You know, that's a great question. I'm 59, and and that's something. The comparison games are the work of the devil, right? So if I was still the head coach at Notre Dame or North Carolina. Um, I would have had a lot of money in the bank by now and could be retired. You know, it, 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 people say is they, I'm 59. People think I'm like 69. And they, they, they say, so are you retired now? And I'm like, no. You know, and, and part of that hurts because if I was still coaching, I would have enough money to retire and could choose to retire when I want to. Um, so the thing now, like, and I remember this, when I was coaching basketball, the lottery was at some all-time high, and we were living in Kansas at the time, and somebody said, well, if you do hit the lottery, what would you do? And most people say, I'd retire. And at that time, I'd say, I'd keep coaching. Like, I like what I do now, so I hope, and seeing Mick Jagger at 78 on the stage <laughs> Thursday night, I'm like, golly, 78? I couldn't do that. So, but I want to be working and being significant in people's lives um, till they put me in the grave. That's good. 
You got to start working on your dance moves too. If, if, if that's a yeah. pretty good dancer. Uh, well, you have. And I can sing too, but Phil hasn't given me the chance to get up. I played the drums. I'm, I'm a Renaissance. <laughs> we got a stage. We got a stage, and we can get some music going if you were serious about that. No, we uh, another question. Do we have a, uh, someone else? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, uh, the question was about the morality of uh, some of the athletes. Uh, uh, she was uh, around the, some of the Orlando Magic players back in the 90s. Um, yeah, I think that uh, that's where we need to get, um, boy, that's a heck of a topic. I do a question. radio show on WBT on Thursdays from, from four to six, and that'd be a great call-in question. <laughs> because. I mean, it, it starts in the home. It starts with parenting. It starts with, you know, having some Jesus in the house and learning right from wrong. Um, uh, again, I quote Robin Roberts. She said the three D's, uh, discipline. I forget the other one, the D, but the last one is the Lord. You know, you need discipline in the Lord to have some moral compass. And um, there's so many. The population started to really flip, I thought, in the 80s when larger families like, you know, Irish Catholics in the Northeast, like if you didn't have at least five kids, like that was a small family. And and they were hardworking and they had you know, church in their lives and that discipline. And then as the next generation came, they had less kids. And so I thought the population kind of flipped a little bit because there were a lot of children growing up in homes with one parent, not saying one parent can't do it, but it's harder. And, 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 and then the, the, you know, the church, going to church, like the path of these, the young generation is not good. A lot of people don't think there's going to be Christianity in their country and they think it's, it's heading this way and it probably is. That's why we need you in the front row to carry the torch for us and we can't be afraid to talk about it. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, we can't be afraid to talk about it because there's probably more people kind of hiding because they're afraid to be shamed because the public, that's, that's what a lot of people are really good at, is shaming. Um, but, you know, there's no shame in standing up for Christ and if, you know, you'll be rewarded in the end. Uh, one more quick, quick question. We've got time for maybe one more. Anybody has one? Yeah. Coach Smith wasn't available at the time. My question is, you said you had to forgive. Did you have to forgive? No, I doubt you know the answer. You forgave the university. What did you have to forgive them for? 
Well, I felt betrayed. The question is about forgiveness, and I met with Roy Williams and and Dean Smith, who, you know, these are my mentors. I mean, I worked for Roy Williams for seven years. Um, I played for Dean Smith. Roy Williams was an assistant on that team. Uh, I got to the level I was at because of them, and I took the job, uh, you know, because Roy turned it down, and then Dean Smith recruited me to take the job, and then three years later, I was forced to resign. So I felt like there's, there's one thing, you know, there's a way to do it and a way not to do it. And the way that it was done, like I would have had, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have liked it, but hey, Matt, this isn't working out. We'll say nice things. You say nice things. We'll take care of you. We'll pay you what you're worth. We'll keep you employed at the university, um, but we're making a change. And if you don't like it, it could get ugly. Right? That's what you do to family, I think. You know, have that kind of conversation instead of just throwing them out and letting the media have a field day and maybe even feeding, you know, that, that frenzy. So it became very political. So I felt <clears throat> whoever that was, whoever the faces were, I needed to forgive them, the university and the AD, the president, the chancellor, um, you know, maybe even Coach Smith, uh, because we're all flawed, mm. you know? And, and, and so they were protecting their brand. And, you know, I was a sacrificial lamb. And then I had to forgive myself because, mm. like, I want to be perfect. That's another mask I wear, like the perfect mask. Oh, well, mm. belly, I'm not perfect. <laughs> and so... That's ego and that's pride. And I have to realize like, man, okay, I, I didn't handle it well. I didn't handle that position well. I wish I would have done things differently. I'm human. And um, thank God for grace, right? And, and yeah, his, his gosh, forgive, yeah. the only, only way we can forgive is because he's, he's forgiven us. And, um, hey, will you guys uh, give Coach a hand for being here? Uh, Thanks again for listening. You can find out more about Love Lake Norman at lovelkn.org. If you live in our area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday. If you're not near our church, we want to encourage you to find a life-giving church to be a part of where you live. That will be a key next step on your spiritual journey. Please take a minute, subscribe to this podcast, and keep up to date with our weekly messages. And thanks again for joining the Love Lake Norman podcast.